Yo, what's up guys? It's Connor here. And today's episode is a little bit different because you quickly realized that Gio is not in the episode. Uh, he actually, he had a little bit of a last minute scheduling conflict come up. And so we decided, hey, it's better to go and put out more content and give you guys more episodes than delay this and push it back for another week or two. So that's what we did. And I'm really happy we did too, because the episode was awesome. Today we sit down with Corey Haynes, who is the founder of Swipe Files. If you're not familiar, Swipe Files is an online marketing membership site. I think it's like $99 for a year or something like that. It's super affordable. And Corey breaks down the marketing behind some of the best marketing campaigns out there. You can have a community with a bunch of other marketers to go and riff on ideas with and share strategies and tactics that are working. And he's built it up from zero to making him several thousand dollars a month, which is pretty remarkable. So on today's episode, we touch on a ton of different things, everything from what other marketing and paid community sites you guys could be starting today. Um, what else we talk about? We talk about some of the economics behind the inflatable movie theater business, which is pretty cool. Uh, how Corey got started on Swipe Files and you know how he made the decision to leave his job. And then in the end, if you're interested in crypto, keep on listening because Corey talks a little bit about DeFi and like how that all works. And Honestly, after I left that call, I got literally bought a DeFi course that same day and then went through the whole thing. So it was really, really impactful um, and actually pretty cool. So if you guys like this episode, let me know on Twitter at C underscore GRO. But without further ado, here is Corey. You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there. Corey, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. That's, I'm actually a little bit a little bit hot. It's finally feeling like summer here in San Diego. Uh, but otherwise, personally, go. doing great. No complaints. Well, honestly, I've been looking forward to having you on the show for weeks now at this point. I followed you on Twitter now for months um, and, and followed your story all the way back to Bear Metrics and when you decided to make the leap and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I think we have a lot of stuff that I want to unpack on today's episode. Um, but the first thing I want to kind of start with is what is Swipe Files? Yeah, so Swipe Files is essentially a membership site. Um, you know, it's interesting because when I talked to my mom about it or when I tried to describe it, I just call it like a, you know, an online forum where people talk to each other. And then like, I also have like courses and stuff. Uh, but like, technically it's a membership site. People come to learn about marketing. Um, and it's sort of like this work in progress combination of a whole bunch of things that I offer. I'm kind of like underselling it right now, but the truth is that a lot of it is like work in progress, testing out different things, testing different pricing products, just like trying to figure out what people are interested in. So, um, I'm, I'm actually always uh, surprised and grateful for how successful it's been thus far because it very much feels like uh, I'm sort of still figuring it out. <laughs> Honestly, it's funny because you just nailed my second question too, which was uh, how do you describe what you do to your parents? Because I think a lot of people on Twitter, uh, they, they know exactly what you do and you know what Swipe Files is. Um, but when you're at a Thanksgiving table, do you typically just kind of brush it off as, yeah, you know, I run this community and you know, I make some content here and there? Oh man, it's so hard. Even, you know, it's funny because when I, when I left Barometrics, um, I, I texted my, my father-in-law and just told him, Hey, you know, heads up. Um, it sort of like happened, like not on a whim, but like, I didn't have a chance to like really talk to him beforehand. And so I texted him and just, Hey, heads up, you know, I'm kind of striking out on my own and we do be doing consulting. I have this like, you know, uh, online business <laughs> that I'm working on. And he's like, cool, man, you know, like excited for you. And then like we've sort of talked about it a couple times and then just like the other week, you know, we were, we were chit chatting and he's like, so like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so I'd like go through the whole process again of like, yeah, so I do consulting and sort of like outside of outsourced head of marketing. I also have this membership site. He's like, what's a membership site? So yeah, that's a whole thing. 
I think I think give it a couple of years and more and more people will understand and, and not even just from the scale standpoint, but they'll start realizing quickly like, oh, actually, a lot of people are beginning to go and create these and they're going to see it across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's funny, too, is that I feel like a lot of people today would have an easier time grasping like, oh, I'm a YouTuber than like I'm a membership site owner, you know, like it, it really hasn't hit vogue and it's still like this very like niche uh, thing that hasn't hit the masses. But the exciting part about that is that it probably means that there's more opportunity, right? It's, it's probably brutal to go and grow a YouTube channel today, whereas creating a community probably still a lot of room. And I, and I tweeted out yesterday, uh, you know, hey, I've got three guests coming up. Um, I've got someone in real estate. I've got someone who's making money on photo booths. And I've got someone who's making money on like a, a paid community, a membership site. And I was like, who, what, do, what do people want to learn about? And I think like 75% of them were like all around your, your stuff and the things that you're doing right now. So I do really? think that- Interesting. Check out the tweet. It's uh, I, I want to say like seventy-five to eighty percent of them responses were all saying, "Yeah, I want to, I want to go and listen to this one." So I think that more and more people want to go and do this, and maybe not even necessarily in the marketing space, but just the paid community spaces as a whole, because they scale. They're tough to start, but they scale really nicely, and we can get into that in a little bit. Yeah, that's awesome. All uh, I'm, I'm an open book, so I'm excited to dig into it. But it's funny because I, I remember that tweet now, and I was reading through it, and I was like, "Oh wow!" Like 25 year old making, you know, money on photo booths, uh, rental units. I was like, "Oh, like paid communities." I want to learn from that guy. I was like, "Oh, I think that's me." <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully, I can. Uh, hopefully, I can teach. Add, and uh, there we go. That's value. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, I was gonna say the other thing too is, is I do think like just from going around your site and and seeing some of the content you put out there, I feel like you undersold it a little bit. Like if I could just add in one or two extra things, right? It's that I had, uh, I didn't have a marketing degree in college, but I took a lot of marketing classes. And if you ever have taken a marketing class during college, you quickly realize that you leave with like one or two case studies on Apple and like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, like a Procter & Gamble product launch under your belt. Um, and you leave knowing like the four P's of marketing, um, which you never really think about ever again. Um, on an actual day-to-day -day use standpoint. Whereas I think the cool thing of what Corey and what you're building with Swipe Files is when you are a marketer and you're trying to figure out how do these things, like how do these things work? What are these terms? Like who's doing it the best today? Uh, you quickly realize that the best marketers really steal examples from other great companies and products and launches and campaigns. And you're basically aggregating all of that knowledge in one spot. So it's like if you paid you know $100,000 for a marketing degree from a college, you can pay Corey $99 and get probably infinitely more value than what you're paying for any university. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad you're able to sort of summarize and uh, and reiterate what I try to communicate. Because uh, really what, what I'm all about personally is um, I've been going through this whole like existential thing about, you know, where do I take swipe files and what how do I really like distill why I care about marketing and like what I am about in marketing uh, specifically. And I think personally what I've come to is that I really care about helping people uh, who do have exceptional products or services or content get the attention that they deserve. And I realize this because I help family, I help friends out all the time. I get really hyped up and, and stoked about what people are working on. And the problem is that people are fantastic at making things. So they have these grand visions or, you know, they have this amazing cause but the delta, the difference between them actually doing that, making a living at it, making a difference, getting in front of people is marketing. You need a way to, to get the attention that you deserve and to bring people to you, to get people to understand it, to get people bought in. And, uh, and that's why I love helping people with, and that comes in the form of 
you know, teaching people how to be audience first and customer centric, uh, the remixing and sampling from other industries and sort of best practices. I can get into it, but a lot of the like Swifel's origin story was really built around me just being frustrated from starting from scratch all the time. And that's just like not a thing you need to do in marketing because marketing is a very outward facing uh, practice, right? You can see what everyone is doing. It's not like programming or, you know, some other kind of like niche industries where it's all, you know, this black box and it's sort of kept in secret. Um, and so, yeah, that's really what I'm about with, with uh, Swipe Files. And that comes in the form of a couple of courses, the membership, the community, a curated Swipe File for myself. And, and all that is uh, geared towards helping people get, get the attention they deserve. And I do want to get into it. I do, I do want to learn a little bit more about the founding story and, and how you started Swipe Files because I was listening to a few of your podcasts uh, throughout the week, just kind of preparing for this conversation. And at one point you mentioned that like, when you were 18 or 19 years old, like prior to that, like you hadn't really thought about like what you wanted your life to be. I think you had said that you're, you know, you're probably going to go through the corporate lifestyle, work the job, the nine to five, you know, get, get the mortgage and all that kind of stuff, two and a half kids, whatever it was. And like, kind of, kind of like progress up that ladder. Um, but somewhere, I guess probably the beginning of college after graduating high school, you kind of switched and you kind of turned into like having a little bit more of that entrepreneurial hustler mentality. Um, I want to know a kind of what, what catalyzed that switch? What was it in you that, that really wanted to kind of see the difference? And then B, what was the first thing that you started before even starting swipe files? So I was on a road trip, uh, my freshman year of college to see some friends out in Arizona. I'm in San Diego, California. It's about a four to five hour trip. And it was just me and another friend were uh, working out to see them. So, you know, on long road trips, you start to have deep conversations. And so we, uh, we got into, you know, what are our plans? What are we thinking? What are we, what are we doing? Uh, and so I told my friends sort of that spiel of, yeah, I think I want to get a degree in accounting or like maybe I'll become a financial advisor. I think was actually what I was kind of had my, my eyes set on at that time, you know, work nine to five, have a family, live a good life, you know, have some hobbies and just, you know, call it a day, live the American dream. Um, and it was, it was pretty like short and succinct and I was very to the point. My friend, uh, it was very much the opposite. In fact, he wasn't even going to college. He was taking a job. I think he had just started at solar city. So he's a very like extroverted sales, uh, you know, like people person, uh, but he also just sort of like dreamed big. And at that point, um, he had read rich dad, poor dad, and was telling me all about sort of like his business ideas and how the world works, how you make money and like this whole new way of living that I didn't even know was really, was really possible, especially for someone like me. I think during high school too, I struggled a lot with like, you know, just insecurity and like who I am. And I was always really, really like shy, reserved, uh, sort of just like, you know, the thinker and, um, a little bit more, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm an introvert at heart too, even though I'm like a little bit more living and, and, and like kind of, you know, uh, come into myself a bit back then, especially I was just like, no, I could never do that kind of stuff. Or I could never be an entrepreneur. I could never be a business owner, stuff like that. And so when he told me that, um, we started talking about it and, uh, and it was funny because when I told him my story of what I wanted to do, he was like, that's it. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's it. What are you talking about? It's the American dream. Like, and I was really offended. And then listening to him, I just realized it was kind of like those, one of those red pill, blue pill moments where, um, I just realized that there was something that I was, I had been missing for a long time. So then I read rich dad, poor dad. I started listening to podcasts. Uh, I started listening to Mixergy from Andrew Warner, uh, in particular. And then it was like this whole new world. I just never knew existed was now open in front of me. And I wanted a part of it. It was like, I couldn't go back. You know, I had, I had tasted the forbidden fruit and, um, 
and I couldn't go back to just like a normal kind of everyday job. Uh, and but the, the problem you're, was you're in the content space too. If I can just plug this really quickly, you're yeah. in the content space and you can kind of see the power that content has over people. You are, I think our 30th episode now on this podcast and it has been pretty remarkable to see how many times that one book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, no. has come up on, across different episodes. And, you know, a lot of it's from like financially independent guys or people who want to like kind of go and live that lifestyle. And it doesn't always have to be that one. Sometimes it's like we're just made of Babylon or like, you know, different things like that. Things that can kind of like let you see the world differently. But it's pretty mm -hmm. powerful once you start hearing that come up again and again. I think it says, A, one thing for uh, Guy, what, Guy, Kurowski, uh, Kawasaki, mm. Guy Kawasaki, I think. Ki Kiwasaki, yeah. Kiwasaki. Um, it, it says one thing for the power of like his book, right? But I think it speaks also just on content in general um, and how influential can be when you are going and publish a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Robert Kiwasaki, by the way. Uh, I just remembered. But yeah, I, I mean, it was, guy, a, it was a yeah, huge. Point. <laughs> yeah. Guy Kiwasaki is another kind of um, big personality. I think he's the guy with uh, Canva and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, that perspective change really is what kind of kickstarted it all for me. And one of the first things that I started doing kind of my first entrepreneurial endeavor was I started making, uh, I started making websites as a lot of people do. And, um, so I started working in, you know, Word, WordPress and then eventually, uh, Squarespace. And it was because one, I had heard that, um, I'd heard from another person at the college I was going to that they were making like one or $2,000 a month, uh, making websites for people just like freelance. And at that time I was like, oh my gosh, $2,000 a month. Like I would be rich. And if I could just do that on the side, you know, this would be great. So I started working. I just started doing it for free for friends and for family, just to kind of like build up a portfolio, creating my own sites. Um, and then I started trying to do it for others. And I did, I did a few. Uh, it was called Motif Design Co. And uh, so I was just making Squarespace sites and charging, you know, a couple hundred bucks for a site, which, uh, you know, in hindsight, of course, is way too little and very under monetized. But that was the first thing that I really started. And also, you know, I think it was like the first money that I made um, sort of like out on my own, you know, I think that I, my friend paid me 200 bucks to make him a Shopify store and site. And, um, that was just like this unleash this unlock. I was like, oh my gosh, I can just make money on my own. Um, the problem was I didn't really, I wasn't, I'm not a great designer and I also still was trading time for money. Didn't even back then didn't really love that concept a ton. And so I was looking for other stuff and, you know, experimented with lots, lots of other stuff, uh, since then. Damn. Yeah. I, th I think the one thing that you just said that resonated a lot with me was that I know I, w I went to school up in Boston and when you're up there, you basically have to do three internships throughout college and there's six month paid internships, right? So the first one I worked for a tech company, I worked for a company called Drift. The second one, I uh, did my own co-op, uh, basically just worked for my own e-commerce brand. And the third one worked for another tech company called Lola and very different experiences all throughout. The first one loved it, had an absolute blast. Second one, loved it, had an absolute blast. Third one, didn't love it as much. And when I look back on it, and I'm like actually thinking like, okay, was it the company? Was it the team? Like, why, why did I not like it? Because on paper, like it should have been very similar to the first one that I really enjoyed. And I genuinely believe it has to do with the fact that that second co-op really showed me how much you can make without needing to go and rely on a salary, a W-2, in order to go and actually make that money. Um, and I, I think the second that like, I don't care if it's a lemonade stand, you know, selling websites or making websites or selling products on the internet, whatever it is, the second that you're able to at least create some kind of money outside of working a nine to five, you start thinking differently. And I, then I think that only gets exponentially more valuable 
as you go and are able to make money without having to directly put in your own hours, right? Like if you got to a point where you developed the front end for this design website design agency, and now you had a team on, in the back end who was making all of these websites and all you were really doing is, you know, going in, you know, a couple hours a week and like assigning tasks to different people, like that quickly becomes more interesting because it's more scalable. It's not correlated to your time. You're still making money even when you're not working, which I think is really cool. Oh yeah. I mean, that that's just been the, the biggest thing. And especially, uh, I think part of my kind of whole experience was when I was going to school, I was living, uh, like 40, well, it was like about a 45 minute drive away from, uh, from school and from, from work. Uh, but through traffic and stuff, I was driving like literally like three to four hours, uh, a day. And I had this weekend job too, where I was, uh, I was setting up movie screens, outdoor movie screens that were inflatable for like parties and, uh, park city events and stuff like that. And I would drive from, uh, I would literally drive like an hour and a half each way just to the site where I'd pick up the screen. And then sometimes an hour or hour and a half to the place where I'd be setting up the screen. Um, and so I had tons and tons of time to listen to audiobooks, listen to podcasts. And at a certain point, you know, I think I went through Andrew Warner's entire catalog, which was like, at that time was like 800 episodes. And, um, and I just thought like, there's no way I can't do this. Like, <laughs> Eventually I'm going to have to, because you can only take so much of hearing other people's success, hearing what they do, what's possible, having all sorts of ideas. I'd started keeping this log and, and Evernote. I was just business ideas and things that I was thinking of. And it would just kill me. It was like the, the inertia had started to where I couldn't not become an entrepreneur. I couldn't not eventually take that path. Obviously it took me a couple of years to actually, you know, be able to do that. Um, but like you said, it's that kind of red pill, blue pill moment where you see the world differently. Uh, you, you experience what it's like, you get a taste and then you don't want anything else. I absolutely love that. Two things I want to dive into there. Uh, the first one is the education phase that you kind of went through. So who, who is Andrew Warner? First of all, I'm, I'm not familiar with him. Yeah. Andrew Warner is the host of Mixergy. Uh, it's just a long time kind of startup, uh, podcasts. Awesome. So when, when I hear that kind of story, I'm, I'm reminded of this uh, podcast that we just did the other week with a, a guy in real estate, Craig, and he kind of brought up this point is when you're getting into real estate specifically, super scary. People are always like, I don't want to lose a bunch of money. I don't really know what I'm doing, et cetera. But what he basically laid out was like a, a framework or a thought process of saying, hey, if you go and you sit down and you just listen to all of the real estate podcasts out there, right? Like Bigger Pockets was the example he brought up. Listen to all of those podcasts, read all of their books, you know, study a bunch of the stuff, go through like a bunch of mock deals, things like that. It gets to the point, like you were kind of saying, where you're a year in and now you're seeing all of these people make money. You know exactly how to do it. It's not really as scary anymore because you know like the exact playbook and can things mm -hmm. go wrong? Absolutely. But at least like you're confident now because you've learned so much about it. And so I think for anyone listening to this right now, who's like, okay, how do I get started on this new thing? doesn't matter if it's riding a bike or starting a business, just educate yourself like crazy to the point where you really understand what the downside is, downside is and you understand more of how to even go and approach something. Cause I do think that's the scariest part. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know it at the time, but, um, uh, I'm a big, well, I'm not a, uh, I'm a scene to live stan but uh read his book i think he's a really really smart guy a lot of great concepts one of them this being is, this is um, sapiens or now uh no he's anti-fragile and oh, um, that one yes okay uh, a couple of others you know they're like sort of like this like collection of books but he has this idea of you know um positive asymmetry and negative asymmetry but basically like you want to look for things that have way more upside than they do downside and ideally like very limited or even no downside and 
On the flip side, you also really want to avoid things that have a lot of downside for not very much upside. Um, and even back then, you know, I was looking at, uh, I was listening to all these podcasts. I was thinking like, I could do this. Like I'm, I'm like these people, like I'm maybe even like a little bit smarter than some of these people or, you know, people would even like self-admit on some of uh, the podcasts I listened to. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I was just figuring it out. Like I was like, you know what? I can do that. Like I, I am part of that. And I think I also just realized like starting a business doesn't have to mean that you, you know, take a second mortgage on your house and you rack up hundreds of thousands of dollars in credit card debt or that you, you know, move somewhere and do something crazy. Like it just means like you, you spin up a website and you start blogging, or it just means that you, you know, spin up a Shopify store, you start drop shipping, like, uh, you start learning how to code and you start making mockups of a SaaS app, you know, like it's really not that the barriers to entry are very, very low today. They're a lot, they're the lowest they've ever been. And so the risks are very low. The upside of the reward is very high. And, um, so that also helped encourage me to kind of get started. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. I definitely think I, I subscribe a lot to the idea that inertia probably kills more dreams than actual failure trying to go and start those dreams. Um, and I think honestly, the best way to go and learn is just by doing and then keep on tweaking and pivoting and and changing and making it better as you go. So I completely agree with that. Um, the other thing we're gonna get into the paid community stuff real quick and and more of the economics behind swipe files because I do think that that's gonna be why a lot of people are listening to this episode too, but I couldn't let you get past the setting up these inflatable movie screens and not learn a little bit more <laughs> about that business and see how much money you're yeah. making just because we just had on uh, Zach Tyler from Peak Photo Booths. Um, and I was like, this dude's making 50 grand a month setting up these photo booth set events. And I'm, and, and you know, I'm not sure if you were at that level, uh, but I would love to know the hustle behind that and how much someone can go and make and, and how they even get started and something like that. Well, I wish that was my business, but I can tell you my perspective from being one of the employees and one of the sort of kids they're hired for super cheap to go and do all the work for them. Uh, but basically, uh, it was called uh, Funflix, and you can let, look it up. I think there's like, it's sort of a national brand that they franchise, I believe. And um, so I was working for basically like the, the Southern California licensed fr franchisee. Um, and it actually changed ownership a couple of times while I was working for them. I worked for them for about two and a half years. And, um, the, the summer months are the big months, it's super seasonal and, uh, you get a lot of contracts and jobs with the city because they do, um, or at least here in San Diego, cause the weather is great. You know, you do all sorts of park events all the time. There's like basically every week during summer, you know, like 50% of the parks in San Diego have some sort of movie screen up in them. You might not know about it cause they don't market it super well. Uh, but that's what's happening and people know about it locally. And so they go and watch the movie. It's this, you know, all the way from like. 10 to 50 foot inflatable screens. I was stuffing a 150 pound inflatable screen in the back of my 2008 Ford Focus and then driving it around and setting up myself. And they have, there's all sorts of nightmares around uh, the wind blowing it away or like it losing air and having to like, literally I, I had to like sit on it one time and like hold a whole shut with my hand just so that it wouldn't deflate and the movie wouldn't die. Uh, the scratches on DVDs, anyways. The interesting part about, about the business is that it was mostly on weekends. Um, I would, as a college student, I would walk away with about 200 bucks a weekend um, working about 10 hours. Uh, so not terrible, right? Most of it was even driving. Like the easy part of the job is that you set up the screen and then you watch the movie, right? The hard part is all the things that go wrong and the whole setup and driving back and forth. Um, but I know that they, like, I think the, the price has started at like $1,000 um a, a job or like a project or whatever it was and then went all the way up to like 10 grand um so they were making good money 
I think as a business though, the struggle and why it changed ownership so many times and is because one, you're working with college kids, which is a difficult kind of personnel to work with, uh, because we can be, I wasn't, but we can be lazy and, um, you know, uh, not responsible or accountable, things like that. Those but guys, also, not me, not me. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it wasn't me. Honestly, I was one of the better workers. That's there were a lot of other kids where I was like, how are you working here? And like, how have you not gotten fired yet? Uh, but the real kind of like logistical or the real nightmare is the logistics and making it work with, uh, routes and who you put on which job and, you know, equipment issues. And when things go wrong, you know, blow the, the inflators, uh, you know, stop working or there's a missing cord, stuff like that. So, um, I don't actually know how, how well they did, but I think that they did fairly well. And I think it's a pretty cool business regardless. Okay, so we'll give it like a five out of ten on a business standpoint, like an eight out of ten from a side hustle standpoint. Like if you want to go and like totally. make a little money yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. I, I gotta imagine I from for, your standpoint. Go ahead. For for someone young, if they wanted to like start this, I think it's like the perfect job because you just go and like hire all your friends or like people that you know, and it's sort of just like a hustle. Uh, but for anyone who wants to build like a big business or something like sustainable or like you know like a four hour work week kind of business, even it's definitely right. not that kind of job at all. Right, right. That kind of business. Yeah. And I got to imagine if you're the employee and it's like your 10th time watching Jaws or something like that for 10 weekends in a row, you just get to the point where you're like, okay, you know what? Like I gotta, I gotta be there. Either they're watching Spider-Man next time or we're mixing it up a little bit. Um, I, I've, I've literally seen frozen big hero six <laughs> and Sandlot over a hundred times each. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. Um, all right. Well, I, I just had to, I had to learn a little, a little bit more about that because I love those kind of businesses. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's quickly touch base on, on swipe files now. So can you give people who are listening to this, like an idea from either like a revenue standpoint or a membership standpoint, uh, you know, how many marketers and entrepreneurs are in swipe files today? Um, yeah, let's, let's start there. Yeah. So the interesting part is that, uh, it's gone through a couple of like iterations and phases and like, even like monetization kind of models. Um, and also the interesting part is that now, so it's very like subscription based, it's a membership site. Uh, I have kind of these two tiers as of now, it's probably going to change. I'm actually planning on changing it a little bit later, but, um, it's 99 bucks a year for the base membership, what I call it kind of pro membership. And then there's an all access membership, which is three 99 that renews into $99 a year. That also includes, uh, the two courses that I've created. So like my first, uh, year in business, um, it wasn't really like a subscription. It was mainly just like the course sales and sort of just like these lifetime memberships that I was selling. And it actually did really well. So I did, I believe it was $83,000 in the first, in the first year. And now I've moved much more to the membership model and more a subscription. And so I think technically today, as of this recording, I have somewhere around like 350 members. Um, but I've also like done some like one-off sales for, uh, like landing page audits and I do like a small amount of consulting and uh, then there's like the all access membership which is a higher upfront cost the 399 that renews the 99 um, so I couldn't tell you like the like the running six month kind of trailing revenue but it's probably somewhere around 50 or 60 grand uh, and then like my MRR technically is about I think it's right around three thousand dollars a month technically so it's kind of like this you know interesting mix of like yeah, the recurring revenue, we have the one-off revenue. Uh, and then there's like, even then with the recurring revenue, I collect it all up front since, since it's an annual membership. And so like every month looks a lot different, even though it's like recurring revenue. When you were figuring out the pricing strategy around that, is there a reason that you wanted to do annuals versus having to do like, you know, 
I guess the equivalent would be like eight bucks a month or maybe my math's wrong, maybe like seven bucks a month or something like that. Because like it yeah. is, it's a super affordable way to break into marketing, meet a bunch of marketers and learn a bunch of stuff. And I'm I, like, I, I don't think $99 is expensive at all in the grand scheme of anything from an education standpoint, but from a consumer standpoint, 99 looks a lot different than nine. Is there, is there a reason you chose that number? Yeah. So I, I sort of knew just from talking with a lot, a lot of other people that charging nine bucks a month or even like 19 bucks a month would be pretty difficult for the type of thing that I was creating because really, especially in the beginning, like uh housewife house started was it started as me as like a paid newsletter to get um, teardowns of marketing examples uh, with sort of like this commentary and analysis of what I thought about the example. Um, since then it all it, like iterated and changed to also include the courses. And then there's like this, you know, private curated community, uh, a couple of other like perks and benefits and there's workshops and stuff like that as well that we do. Um, but I knew that having to re-justify the nine or 19 or $29 a month, every single month would cause unnecessary churn. And also like, personally, it just like, it gave me a lot of anxiety to be honest. I just like, didn't really want to deal with that. I even, I tested in the early days, um, 29 bucks a month, 99 bucks a year or two ninety nine for life. And most people chose the 99 bucks a year or the two ninety nine for life. And all the people who chose 29 bucks a month, uh, who I would also give discounts for to either get half off or their first month free were churn out within the first two months. It was just like insane mm. churn. Yeah. Um, and I wanted basically the time because if you sell an annual membership, you have the whole year to justify, um, getting the value, the $99 of, of value, or right. ideally like the, the $1,000 of value that they're paying the $99 to get. Um, and so I just knew that I couldn't really do that within a month or two or even three months. I wanted to have more time, more peace. And, uh, and just from hearing from others as well, it's just, it's really hard to do that unless I think that's interesting because unless you're running a Substack or a Patreon where that kind of pricing model is like a cultural norm for the platform, then it's a little bit easier and your churn is a little bit lower because that's what people come to expect. But if you're running your own kind of custom membership site and if the model is a little bit different, then it's harder to justify that monthly that monthly price. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. So now talk to me, I mean, from a marketing guy's perspective, uh, I feel like marketing people really think in terms of funnels, right? And so you've got uh, you've got people who know who Corey Haynes is, people who know who swipe files are, uh, and then you have the people who just paid you was it you said two ninety nine uh, for like that premium membership, right? Yeah, three ninety nine. Three three ninety nine, right? So you have you have people at the top of the funnel, people at the bottom of the funnel, and I think for anyone who wants to go and figure out how to go and create a paid community for whatever niche they're in, I think you actually set up a really cool playbook where essentially you built a brand in your space. You collected a bunch of emails because you were doing these weekly teardowns and weekly reports and stuff like that. So you gave people a reason to subscribe in the first place. And then now you're slowly bringing them down into the $99 a year. Maybe they buy a course. Like how does how does that funnel work for you? And how would you, if you were to start today from zero, can you walk mm -hmm. me through how you'd go and recreate what you did? Yeah, so I wrote a tweet thread a while back that was quite controversial, uh, surprisingly. But basically I was, telling, I was telling people that if I could start over, I would do things very differently for swipe files. Uh, because of course hindsight is twenty twenty, and like once you're there, then you look back and you sort of like connect the dots, and everything makes a little bit more sense. Obviously, if I were to actually go back, I probably wouldn't be able to figure this out, and it takes me like going through this to actually, you know, realize what the kind of like right answer is. But my advice now for people, right, going forward, is, uh, and it's a little bit cliche because I am a marketer, but really, you, if you're going to be doing a content or a membership 
based business. Uh, in other words, you're selling courses, you're selling community, you're doing a membership, uh, you're doing, you know, monthly AMAs, or even if it's just like a coaching or mentoring thing, you have to build an audience beforehand. And even if you try to build an audience and build sort of like your product or services at the same time, you're probably going to be doing yourself a disservice. It makes a lot more sense to spend like a full six months to a year solely focused on building your audience probably on the side right of like your job or some other thing that's like paying the bills that's probably unrelated or just you know you have the time and creativity to do this uh, as the sole thing that you're focused on because then what happens is that after six months to a year you've built this big top of funnel where you have you know maybe you have a few thousand twitter uh followers you have a few thousand newsletter subscribers you have um, traffic coming from google you have good seo coming to your website you have these, you know, referrals and collaborations and connections and you have a good network. And then basically you just like, you just ask your audience or figure out what they want and you go and build it. And it's just like instant monetization where you're able to, uh, to get to your goals pretty quickly. Whereas if you're starting from scratch and you don't have an audience or you have a really small audience, and then you try to build your audience at the same time as your products, then you're sort of doing like this juggling act that really doesn't end up being, um, uh, and it ends up being a little bit like mutually exclusive. Like uh, what you want to do in the early days is you want to create all the content that you would eventually monetize and, and give it away completely for free in a really specific medium like Twitter or like a newsletter. And then you can package that up into something where there's a really specific outcome or you give step-by-step -step instructions or you give hand-to-hand -hand coaching or you give more examples or just a more premium offering on top of that free stuff that you've already created. And you say, hey, if you want help with this, or you want to go through my core based course, you want to go through my course, you want to join my membership where you can actually put this stuff into action, then buy my stuff. But if you don't have, if you haven't built the credibility, if you don't have the legitimacy, if you don't have the audience, you don't have the trust that you built at scale, those relationships that you built with your audience, then basically you're going to be, you know, monetizing crickets, right? You're going to be, uh, you're going to be trying to create money out of thin air, right? Like literally who are the people that you would be selling to? Like, do you expect to go viral? It's just not going to happen. Um, so thankfully, you know, when I, when I launched my first course, which would eventually be like, kind of like, uh, I guess like the first thing that I did was swipe files. Uh, it was called mental models for marketing. I had, I had about 2000 Twitter followers at that time. And I didn't know this playbook, right. But I had already built up a decent size audience. I only had actually 300 uh, newsletter subscribers on the waitlist for the course. But then when I launched, I made 10 grand when I launched and I was like, Oh, like this works. Um, so I went and created another course. Uh, and then I went and started building swipe files going back. I think that it would have been easier for me to get to my goal of a thousand true fans, which is a thousand paid members for swipe files on that recurring kind of subscription model. If I had really focused longer and built up, you know, now I have, uh, 11,000 Twitter subscribers or uh, followers and 6,000 news, newsletter subscribers. And if I had just started from there, from right now and turned it on, I think I would have had even more success from being able to sort of like grow quicker. Um, so anyways, that's a whole bunch of, of thoughts. How is, that, but, so uh, I'm curious, how, how is that a controversial take? Because I think like you describing that, you laying that out makes a ton of sense to me. And I think like the, the immediate, my, so my, my mind goes to two people right away when you lay this out for me. The first one is actually, I guess it's, it's probably a competitor of Swipe Files, but he was my old manager and you, you probably, you definitely know. I'm DGNG? Yeah, exactly. Dave. Um, and so like he has a hundred thousand plus followers on LinkedIn. He has his whole paid community with DGMG or whatever like that. Um, and like I was talking to, like I would have like monthly check-ins with him, whatever at my old job. 
and I would just be like, How's, how are things going like with, with your community? He's like, dude, all I do is I give away free shit all day. And then I, like once or twice a month, I'll be like, by the way, you want more than just me? Like you want the other good stuff? Like go here, right? And he's like, all I do is just give stuff away for free. And I build up enough of a brand that people trust me to know that the rest of the stuff is going to be good. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, that this reminds me of is Gary Vaynerchuk's book, I want to say, yeah. called mm-hmm. uh, what, Jab, Jab, Right Hook, something like that. Yeah, um, exactly. And the, the whole principle there for anyone who's not familiar with the book is essentially just saying, hey, if you go for like the right hook right away, like you're not going to knock anyone out. You're not going to go and like convince anyone to go and buy your product in this case, right? But the jabs theoretically represent like free stuff, right? Like, hey, let me give you value. Let me give you value. Let me give you value. And like consistently for free to the point where you've never met someone on the internet, but you follow them enough and you look forward to what they have to say. You think that they're credible. You think that what they have to say is interesting. And now they are giving you a deeper dive, right? A, a look behind the curtain into like this more exclusive piece of content that they didn't just spend 30 seconds writing this tweet. They spent, you know, 30 days making this course. So you know it's going to be exponentially better. And then you're more willing to go and purchase it because they've given away all of this free content over the years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that the reason that it was controversial is because one, people kind of point to a lot of exceptions to the rule where they like point to this person and say, look at them. They don't have an audience or any Twitter followers, but they're, you know, a billionaire and they have like these businesses or whatever. Uh, and then the other thing I think is that people just uh, aren't comfortable with that statement. They just want to believe that the world works differently. They don't have to. Um, and the third thing is that there are, there, there are some nuances to how this applies to different business types and even industries. Um, but the, the principles are really, you know, building an audience is really how do you build trust with people at scale? And so you can apply this to a software business and you can go out and do a bunch of sales before you even have a product and you can talk to customers, you can do customer development. This is actually like my long-term goal, by the way, is to, to build a SaaS business, like sort of like what I'm doing on the side. I can't like, there isn't like too much to share on that, even more than that. But like, if you, if you want to apply this to software, you just go and you talk to hundreds of people who can be your potential customer. You ask them all about their business. You get to know them. And then once you have their trust and you have something to show for, then you say, hey, look at this thing I'm building. It's just interesting. Would you want to pay money for it? Uh, the same thing, actually, my friend Benji Haim here in San Diego, he's the founder of Grow and Convert, a uh, content marketing agency. And him and Davis, his, uh, his co-founder, they started writing a blog called Grow and Convert about content marketing. They grew it to, I don't know, something crazy, like like 35,000 visitors a month to the to the blog. And then they're like, hey, we're an agency now. Like, if you want us to do content marketing for you, here you go. And then they had like eight clients, like right off the bat. Um, so I think I actually think that it does apply. And people just, there are, of course, exceptions to the rule. There always will be. But I think that the easiest way to do this and the most like confident way that you can assure success for yourself is to, to go that route of building an audience first, uh, establish trust, you know, build rapport, expertise, show that you're legit, um, give stuff away for free. And then you come with the membership site, with the software business, with the agency or service on top of what you've already been building on, uh, on the content. And I was going to say, there are so many, like the, the finishing a software is the goal. There are so many playbooks out in the wild today of people doing exactly that. The three that come to mind instantly for me, Russell Brunson did exactly that, right? He, yep. And he finished with ClickFunnels. Uh, you can actually see one working out in real time right now with Billy Jean, uh, I think his whole handle is like Billy Jean is marketing. Are you familiar with this guy? Oh yeah. I, he's here in San Diego also. I didn't know he's building a software product. So he's, his whole thing, like in this past year, this is why I'm saying it's in real time is like content scripts, courses, things like that. 
And all of earlier this year or late last year, he basically said, I am retiring from this business. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hanging up the books or closing the books or whatever like that. And like, here's all of, like, he did like, obviously in true Billie Jean fashion, like a very big, like my retirement sale buy every piece of content mm. I've ever made kind of thing. Smart. Um, I think, I think he crushed it with that, but now he's switching over into software. Um, and so I think somewhere on his Instagram or somewhere you can find the link in terms of what he's doing. I kind of forget what it is. Um, and the third one is another guy on Twitter, Ryan Dice. Um, you know, he's given yeah. away so much stuff, went to the membership route with digitalmarketer.com. And now he's got several different uh, either community or software products with like recess and scalable and things like that. So um, the playbook's out there. Like, I think you're following the exact right track too, which is really cool to see. Yeah, there's also Nathan Berry of ConvertKit. Yep. Before that, he was selling ebooks and courses on software design. Uh, and um, even, you know, so I had this list actually of like Swifel's inspiration for when I was, I can look at the date right now, it was August 14th, 2020, right before I launched the paid community part of Swifel's. Um, and you can look at people like 2PM by WebSmith, uh, Trends by The Hustle, uh, MakerPad by Ben Tossel, Ministry of Testing by Rosie Sherry, Lenny Rachisky's newsletter, and there's a community and much of courses and stuff. Maker Mind by Anne Lord LeCumph, uh, DGMG, I love Dave, and uh, MetaMac, uh, Hypergrowth a few years back. Product Manager HQ, which was actually sold later for a, a large sum, um, but that was all like a free kind of thing, and then they monetize it. Uh, Fizzle it was an OG, and uh, Corbett Bars done an amazing job. Just like Fizzle is actually a really interesting uh, kind of case study because they've been, been around forever. And they've also kind of pioneered this whole like membership content community kind of blend where they have like a hundred courses and they have this paid community kind of forum and you pay 39 bucks a month and you get access to everything immediately. Um, and, uh, and now corporate bar has built a bunch of software products on top of that as well. Um, and, uh, you know, now MakerPad's part of Zapier, like they're all interconnected, right? One thing leads right. to the next. That's, that's awesome. Um, the other bit that I wanted to kind of dive into here is I think um, you keep on using the word membership. And I think when I was originally looking at Swipe Files, like, I think I think the word community, right? And mm. there's obviously two different parts there, right? Because there's the one, there's the, uh, I guess, one to many, which is you creating a course, you finding cool things to go and swipe for people and then throwing it in there. And that's probably more the membership part, which like they will consistently go and get good vetted content from you. But now the other part, and this is kind of where things get a little bit more valuable from a brand standpoint, is when you have the other 349 marketers who are in this community now also creating content and sharing that with them, right? Because, you know, if you're putting mm -hmm. in 20 to 40 hours a week, just finding really interesting content, that's your time, right? But now if everyone else is like, oh, I just saw this in the wild, let me go and dump it into swipe files, right? That's when like the real value and like the, the gears start churning in this business. Would you recommend... The one, I guess one of the questions I was going to ask is that from a community standpoint, it's kind of scary because if you have 10 people, it's not valuable. I mean, <laughs> it, it could be if it's like a mastermind kind of group thing or whatever, right? Um, but for right. the most part, it's it's not going to be. Would you recommend that people start off with more of this membership model where they're still the ones who are distributing a lot of the content until they reach a critical scale of like, when I'll call it 100, 200, 300 people and then switch more into a community, whether that's a Facebook group or whatever? Yeah, I think that you definitely need some sort of critical mass of it, about like 50 to 100 people to join a community to make it work. Because what's going to happen is that, you know, a fraction of those, maybe like 10% will be like really active. And then you need to have like even those people, you know, who are checking in and out. You have like the lurkers and you have people who check in and out a couple times 
uh, a month, then you have people who are really active. Uh, you need those numbers to work out in your favor, uh, but you also just need to build the momentum to get things started in the first place. So I was actually really, really scared uh, and nervous to launch the community. And um, I, I built it out of a personal need for me because I felt like I didn't really connect with any other communities and it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. So as an entrepreneur, you just sort of build what you want to see in the world, right? And so I figured, okay, I want this thing. Maybe other people want it too. So the first thing I did was I went to Twitter and I asked a bunch of people if that would be interesting and basically did some kind of like customer development of, you know, what communities are you a part of? Uh, why are you a part of them? What do you like? What do you not like? Which ones have you tried that didn't work out? Yada, yada, yada. Did the same thing with the newsletter. And then I had sort of, you know, kind of earning trust and scale. I had about 100 people that I was DMing and or threading on, uh, on emails with kind of just dialogue and even like challenging them sometimes about like, you know, trying to really figure out, is this something that they would pay for that they would feel uh, is useful enough to really check into every day in a, in a community. Um, and then I, once I had like a critical mass of those hundred people, I was like, okay, I just need to go for it. So it was like this whole coordinated thing where I had a couple of friends come in and like post some things beforehand, just so like there was some things in the community that it wasn't like, you know, walking to crickets or, you right. know, sometimes like you join a party and like the first person there and you're like, okay, this is awkward. Like I didn't want it to be yeah. like that. Right. You have to have a couple of close friends at the party first so that it's not awkward. And, um, and then it was like this whole thing where I just, at the same time, I scheduled all the emails personally to every one of those hundred people and said, all right, here's the link to join, uh, you know, click here, sign up here, uh, you know, and then basically give them homework. Like we'd love to have you, uh, you know, if you can, please immediately intro yourself in this channel. Uh, you know, post something interesting here and then respond to someone else's comment to make them feel welcomed. And then that kind of like created this flywheel where then it was like the gears are turning, you know, it's working. It's kind of like that, that meme where that, like, it's working, yeah. it's working. And like, you know, a couple of days later, people are still checking in, people are still, you know, joining, people are still posting. Um, and then now it, like it takes on a life of its own. But it's, I think it's pretty difficult unless you already, again, have like this big audience and or I've already sold products to people in the past as well. I think that also helped that I had made some sales through courses um, that I could then invite those same people and say, hey, I'm working this other thing over here. It might be interesting for you because um, it's a pretty tall order to like launch a community. Uh, it's not easy. In fact, I've seen many, many people fail pretty miserably and sadly. Yeah, you've got you use the method of a thousand true fans for, for financial freedom or whatever you want for, for your own life. I got to imagine that there's probably some rule out there with the community of like a hundred true members or something where you have people who are consistently posting and like they'll refer this group to someone else. I know I, I've never run a paid community personally, but I started privies when I was working there. Uh, I want to say in like four or five months that we were running a week product from like zero to 1200 e-commerce marketers. And then also I have a, a tiny house Facebook group as well um, with just mm. like a bunch of just from like the blog that we acquired and stuff like that. And I will say that the two rules I, I've definitely found that are probably the most effective is one, sometimes you just have to be the person that publishes a ton of stuff. Um, and the cool part about Facebook groups especially is that you can go and schedule out a bunch of content so like i can sit down on august 1st yeah and literally just go and schedule out all of august content with like really well-written stuff i don't have to do it every single day which is kind of nice um and then the mm -hmm. other part is like just be ruthless about deleting uh bad spammy content because i think that's the second that a, a group becomes not valuable is when somebody posts hey how do i set up a website on wordpress again you know for the 50th mm -hmm. time that year um, and so keeping the content constantly good, um, along with removing any overly promotional spammy stuff seems to be a good theme as well. Yeah. I mean, our community is, uh, is something that's unique to a lot of other 
types of businesses or like, you know, things that you offer as a paid part or just as a part of what you do, even if it's free or it's paid, is that you have to show up every single day. And that's been hard for me personally, because uh, now I'm coming up on the year anniversary here in a couple of months. And um, there have been times where, you know, there's been like a week where I don't really like check in or logging. So I'm like, like so burned out or just like overwhelmed with this other thing over here. And then like I can feel the community like start to lose some some steam a little bit. And uh, I don't think you've truly made it as like a community manager organizer uh, until you can like fully step away. And it's basically like really has taken a life of its own. But the truth of it, is to, of it too is that you really always have to do some sort of maintenance. You want to be posting content. You want to show that you're active there, that you care, that you want people to, to engage with you. Um, and that's just not, there's nothing else like it. You know, with a course, people buy it, you know, maybe have like a question or two and like, that's it. They're out on their own. Uh, with a software business, you do some support, you fix some bugs, but people are using the product. With a community, you're dialoguing, right? You're having conversations, you're connecting people, you're like manually helping people out. And uh, that's, that's a, it takes a lot of longevity and stamina to do that. Yeah, certainly does. I think um, two ideas that I had just from your standpoint that might be interesting. Um, I was in one community before for Amazon sellers specifically, and they literally required that you have to go and post once a month or you get kicked uh, or like not even mm. post once a month, but comment. Um, and so from that standpoint, you know, yeah, you'll maybe have a couple of people commenting that aren't as genuine, but the engagement was phenomenal. Like everyone was posting, everyone was mm. commenting all the time and keep in mind it was a tight knit community. So that's, that's another factor. But the other thing that I found worked really well too, is that, um, is, is your community hosted on Facebook or where are you hosting it at? It's on circle. It's on circle. Cool. Um, can you ask questions like when they're joining the community? uh yeah a bit like there isn't like an onboarding sort of like questionnaire kind of um you know like a form but you can also like uh well i'll let you sort of say what you're going to but i have like a couple of like zaps that are set up to like automate some dms and oh, cool. you know do some sort of like check-ins things like that so that's where i normally give some of the instructions for what to do in the community that's cool i was going to say one thing that we did when we had people joining the previous community is i would basically just say like hey what's your website because they're e-commerce sellers and I would basically go through every other day or every day and approve people to join the Facebook group because that's kind of where they would live. And if the website looks cool or if they were like, we're doing $10 million a year selling like baby dolls or whatever like that on the internet. I'm like, that's an interesting story. I was like, I would always, like my Facebook messages are now filled with like hundreds of strangers of me just being like, hey, like, would you mind writing a quick post on like how, like, like how you even got started in this? Because I bet you people find that super interesting. Um, mm. And from their standpoint, one, it makes them feel way more welcomed into the community right away. And the stories are always interesting. Like you always have like a cool like tidbit on like what's the best of the way that you've been growing or like what's one thing you've learned over the past month. So always some good thoughts there. Yeah, yeah, that, that's super smart. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably steal one or two of those ideas. And there's Do lots it. of little kind of um, triggers. You know, I, it brings me back to uh, like Hooked by Neer Yall. And especially for something like a community, you have to have, uh, you want to create habitual community members that are engaged. And to do that, it really is a science. So you have to create those triggers of, you know, those things, like you said, of, you know, those prompts to post things, or maybe even like these uh, accountability functions where you have to comment, otherwise you're kicked out. Uh, or maybe there's like these automated emails, reminders, notifications um, to get people to do things to keep that flywheel going. Because otherwise, mm -hmm. if you don't have those triggers, especially then you can start to lose momentum or, or things just aren't, you know, um, as optimal, right. Um, it's not as engaged as it could be. 
Yeah, Trends has a cool newsletter for people who are in their Facebook group with like a monthly or maybe it's a bi-weekly or a monthly roundup of like the most interesting posts. And that's always an easy way yeah. to kind of like bring people back into the mm-hmm. community too, which I really like. Um, one quick note, how are you doing on time? Because I know we're a little bit over right now and I that will probably influence a little bit. You're good? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so the next question I had, and this is probably starting to wrap up the, the paid community section uh, with where we're at here, but you're in the marketing space. You, you live and breathe marketing. It's what you've been doing from a career and it's what you're doing now with Swipe Files. If you were to go and suggest to another couple of people like, hey, if you're industry agnostic, you know, here are the three industries that I would probably want to go and start a paid community for because you probably think that there's enough demand or there's enough content out there that people will be willing to go and pay for it. Um, do you have any ideas just like off the top of your head? Um, and I, I can mm. go first if you if you need a second to think too of of one that I've seen that's pretty interesting. Yeah, may, maybe I'll, I'll ask you uh, to give a couple while I think about it. But I do have like a kind of like criteria and framework for how I would think about those types of industries. Mm. Uh, one, I would really think about people who. Um, so one of the things, like the ideas that's been kind of spinning around in my head for a long time that I haven't really been able to articulate super well, is this idea of um, content medium fit. And so basically, like what kind of content really only works or works best in a specific medium and, and vice versa as well as like, you know, what medium is best for this type of content that I want to create or this type of thing that I want to, to do. And um, so it makes me think of industries that like not a lot of people post publicly about either because they can't or because it's taboo or because they don't feel comfortable with um, or even because, you know, the sort of like industry trade secrets and stuff like that. I think that e-commerce is a little bit like this um, where a lot of people that are on the cutting edge aren't posting about it until like, you know, a year after they've already like ran that playbook and like it's worked right. for them for a long time. Uh, but I think about, you know, uh, you know, industries that are maybe like a little bit older or, um, you know, I think about like real estate is kind of one of those big ones, all sorts of different niches, you know, that you could have like a commercial real estate one or like a residential or a heartland real estate or like coastal or, you know, even all sorts of different types like Airbnb, short-term rental, uh, renting to nurses, like, there's probably all sorts of things in there just because like who's talking about that stuff, right? right? Like can people find free content online? If right. not, there's probably an opportunity either for you to blog about it or to create a community for other people to do all the work of uh, sort of blogging or creating content around it. Um, another criteria I would have is that it's a uh, it's sort of like a, a big ticket uh, item or, or value in the sense of like um, what you want in a community is to really over over deliver on the value and so if people feel like hey like this thousand bucks a year that i'm paying for like a membership is getting me all my leads for my consulting business right or is you know getting me connections or access to these people that i wouldn't have access to people will gladly pay the thousand bucks a year you know all day long in fact i was listening to one of the uh, my first million podcasts with sam Parr and sean Perry, and they were talking about this one business uh i forget what what it's called some sort of acronym but you know, people pay like, or businesses pay six figures to have access and like be in the association. And all they do is host like bi-annual like conferences, you know, sure. and they're like, you're like listed there. Right. Right. Same for, same thing for people. Like people will pay. In fact, my friend, uh, John, uh, Doherty of Credo, he basically like curates a, a marketplace of, uh, marketers who offer, you know, services and it's lead gen for those marketers. And now for him, it's basically like he's providing lead gen, but on a recurring uh, membership basis. And like, that's a really, really easy sell for both sides, right? So mm-hmm. if you can, if there's something that's like really high value 
that you can deliver through your community. I think that that makes a lot of sense, uh, either because it's exclusive or, you know, what, what you're doing is a high ticket kind of industry. Maybe it's like finance or real estate or starting a business is kind of one of those things. Like what are people willing to pay a lot of money in? Um, and I think one of the other parts uh, that I would think about is um, what are industries uh, that are like, I think that w what tends to happen for a lot of people is they want to like over kind of niche, like within what they're working on. So there's a lot of like tech communities. There's a lot of um, e-commerce communities, a lot of marketing communities, but like, I think that I would go and look for kind of like the sweaty startup, like, yeah. you know, normal everyday kind of stuff. Like what are, what is no one else going to create a paid membership community unless you have some sort of like access to that type of person or to that community, or like you are one of these people, like, you know, maybe you're like train collectors or like, you know, like master Lego builders, like, you know, these really niches right. that are not like tech or business related. I think there's gotta be huge opportunities there also. Yeah. I gotta imagine you can probably just spend months on Reddit, finding all of these really niche ones of people who are just posting like yeah. a ridiculous amount. Um, I actually came because I knew I was gonna ask this question to you and I, and I came with a few different ideas uh, that I've seen or think could be cool. Um, so the first one was that uh, Ryan Dice mentioned or mentioned earlier in the podcast. He now runs uh, a company called Scalable and Scalable basically to sum it up if you've never run a business before you think that the way to run a business is you do all the work it gets to be really big and then like you're you're rich right like i'm oversimplifying here a little bit but this is the way when in reality one of the most difficult parts about running a business hands down is you just have to create procedures and operations to keep the business going even when you're not around and so that's basically saying like you were just describing before hey i have all these zaps set up right so that way they'll get auto emailed when they join the the community um building up processes like that, documenting it, and now handing it over to an employee or a virtual assistant and saying, this is now your job and I'm paying you to do this, uh, is, a, is a really big part about running a business. And Ryan Dice basically built Scalable. And in it, you have business owners who are sharing standard operating procedures, their playbooks for hiring. You know, Here's literally the template that I use when onboarding a new employee. Like All of this kind of stuff is stuff that you don't really think about from a business. Super important. And you're selling to people who have money, right? Because they're business owners. So I think that's, that's a really cool one that I liked a lot. Um, a couple other ones that I was just riffing on, uh, and I would love to hear your takes on this. You mentioned nurses quickly. Uh, traveling nurses, I think, could be a huge opportunity, um, mm -hmm. mostly because of the fact that they're constantly changing assignments every few months. So they want to hear other nurses' opinions on like certain hospitals and things like that. Uh, they want help negotiating. If it's your first time doing it, it's really confusing. Um, you know, apartments, leases, things like that. Uh, you're going to be, you know, whether you're going from Boston to San Diego or uh, to DC, wherever it is, um, you want to go and have a reliable way to know like, hey, this girl is in Seattle and she loved it at this hospital. Uh, but then Brittany was down in Louisiana and absolutely hated this hospital, right? So like you kind of start knowing which ones to avoid and which ones to go to. Um, probably a lower price point uh, and maybe churn after a year or two because not everyone does this full time, but I think it could be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um the wow. other one I had here, this one I don't think anyone's doing. And uh, this one might strike a chord for you because you mentioned you wanted to be an accountant. Um, but <laughs> I got to imagine a community for accountants to share tax strategies and codes would be super interesting because I've talked to several different business owners before. And you have one business owner who's like, my accountant literally just found me this grant. It's $200,000 a year. It's for New Jersey manufacturers. And like, I'm going to make 200 grand or whatever like that from this grant. And then you have another person who's like, my accountant hasn't 
like my, they do the books. They don't, they don't do anything else for me. Right. And so if you have all of these accountants, like sharing tax codes and strategies right. and like answering questions, I got to imagine that would do really well. I don't know if that's already out there though. I think that yeah, um, that's a good one. There reminds me of, uh, uh, my sort of, really plugged in, in my church and the church administrator is basically like the COO of the church. If that makes sense. Like he's, you know, doing all the admin yeah. and finances and a lot of the hiring and sort of, you know, making everything works so that the pastors can actually do their job as pastors. And, uh, he was telling, uh, he's telling me about like what it's like to, to be that person. And, um, I was like, does every church have a church administrator? And he's like, Oh yeah. Like it's a really tight knit community because you know, we swap stories and strategies and uh, uh, we all know each other, refer each other. And so that just made me think like, Oh, that would be a great, you know, community or like association membership. Uh, because again, like th those are really hard to reach kind of people. And unless yeah. you're really well networked, then you probably don't have access to other people like you. And so if you can just kind of like plug in and automatically have this network, uh, even if it's like really minimal, you just like want access to be able to ask someone a question one day, you know, that's probably a, a, you know, a 10 X value kind of proposition. That's amazing. Yeah. I think, I think that along with like fundraising in general, I've I noticed like, even if you're not in the church space, like a good part of church finances revolves around fundraising and like getting contributions mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, I know that there's a lot of fundraising softwares out there, but it'd be pretty interesting to hear people who do this full time. Like if they have communities or tactics or like giveaways, promos, whatever they're running, um, could be pretty cool. The, uh, yeah. I like that. I like that one a lot. The last one I have here is it goes back to, takes it away from the, the nurses and accounts and churches and takes it back to like the actual business Corbett's. Um, there's already like, I think the cool part about a community like trends run by the hustle is that you have a lot of like really scrappy people, everyone who wants to like, you know, either make their first business or people who are running like $500 million businesses all in the same community. So you have a lot of variety, but I do think that there's a lot more opportunity out there for verified communities. And basically what I mean by that is like, Hey, I run a business and I'm verifying I'm doing over a million dollars in revenue or I'm running a business mm -hmm. and you know, I verify I have over 50 employees. Um, because I do think that like, if I ran a business doing $10 million a year, I really don't want to see posts about people asking how to form an LLC, but yeah. I would love to hear posts about like how somebody found their first VP of marketing, right? Um, because that's probably something that I'm also going through. So I think uh, the verified ones where like I literally have to go and send my financials to this person, I pay $5,000 a year to join the community, uh, would probably do really, really well. Probably difficult to scale, yeah. um, but you, know, you only need a couple of these people. I think that's why uh, Andrew Darian of... Um e-commerce feel has done so well. I remember listening yeah. to him for a long time and that they like basically had to do that to get rid of some of the spam but that ended up being like one of the big value propositions. Like, you know that everyone who's joining is like you at a certain stage and you can expect a certain quality of, of content. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's really cool. Um, all right, last question I've got here on the paid communities. Uh, I loved, loved doing that little brainstorm there. Um, how expensive was your domain? <laughs> oh yeah, good question. So Cause I'm I, it's, you own a fantastic domain name. I'm, I'm like, I'm imagining it costs you several thousand dollars to buy. Yeah. And, uh, and even then, you know, it's the plural. So there's swipefile.com, which is owned uh, by uh, Nova Medora of copywritingcourse.com. And he's really, really genius, killing it. Uh, I'm very, very jealous and envious of him, but also learn a lot from him. By the way, you know, you mentioned uh, Dave being sort of like competitor. I actually feel like this is kind of interesting bit on the paid communities is that I actually feel like for a lot of, content-based businesses and people and memberships that it's it's definitely not like a zero-sum game and there's a, actually a lot more opportunity to collaborate than to compete because 
I'm actually a member of DGMG and I'm a member of, you know, some good content. I'm a member of like a whole bunch of other stuff that are like in marketing and doing something similar. But the thing with content is that it's very unique to a certain uh, niche or person or stage. And like, even if there are like direct competitors, quote unquote, they're probably like have a different flavor of what they're offering. And so I don't really see it as like competition at and, all. And the, um, the content is different too. Like uh, if you think about it right now, I have a subscription to Netflix and Hulu, right? Like right. they're the same, yeah. they're the same exact business, but the content is different. And I subscribe to them because, you know, season of Dave just came out on Hulu. I watch it there. New, <laughs> new season of Drive to Survive comes out on Netflix. I'm watching it there, right? So you, right. you get to see both. And I think to your point, five years ago, nobody would know what the hell you're talking about if you're saying I run a paid uh, community, a paid newsletter or whatever. You guys are making the space bigger. Right, exactly. Uh, so anyways, tangent on that, but back to the domains. So I co was, I think it was like a couple hundred bucks. Um, oh, that's how I got on it from... Uh, Navamodora. Uh, so swipe files is swipe files.com is the plural version of that. So it's not even like the ideal domain. Um, but I think that the sticker price was 5,600. Uh, and basically I'm paying it like on a payment plan through, um, like one of the registrars lets you, lets you do that basically. So it comes out to like 180 bucks a month or something like that over a couple of years. And I'll probably end up paying it off, but I'm kind of just like, you know, letting that ride for a while until I can sort of like, you know, I'm expecting like Black Friday, Cyber Monday to have like a big influx and then I'll use some of that for that. But uh, it was it was worth it just for like the branding. And I was also mainly just scared that someone else would buy it up and I would never be able to. And uh, and domains are real estate on the Internet, you know, so you might as well kind of buck it up. It only gets more expensive later. I was going to say it's, it's a great domain, which is why I feel like I had to ask it. I've, I've talked to other founders of like software companies who have purchased domains for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I don't know how big your bank account has to be to justify a purchase like that. But mm -hmm. I do think that you made the right move uh, buying that. I think it's a really good domain. Um, yeah. All right. I want to I wanna start just quickly wrapping some things up with just a little bit more about like how you think about certain things. Um, and the biggest one that I love spending time on, mostly because I just went through this phase myself. And I even, I think we got connected because I messaged you on Twitter about like your switch and, and all this kind of stuff here. But you have this really great post about when you quit Bear Metrics, which is the last company that you worked at. Um, and for anyone who hasn't read it, just go to Corey's uh, Twitter. I think it's, is it still pinned at the top of your Twitter? I think so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe, okay, yeah, so, so it should be pretty easy to find. Um, but I, I basically messaged you uh, trying to figure out like a financial breakdown of like, hey, did you model this out? Like, you know, are you, is your burn still good? <laughs> like, all this kind of stuff. Um, but I wanted to ask you, just like money aside, uh, Anyone can put up a spreadsheet, figure out how much they've spent over the past couple of months, figure out how much they need to make and, and do that math out. That's pretty simple. But money aside, like, what was the hardest part about making the switch from working for someone else and, and running marketing over at Bear Metrics to running all of Swipe Files? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, well, it's hard because like the, mo the money is like the big part of it. And it's not really like how much money do I have or how much money do I, I need to survive? But it's more like, what's the trajectory of my business right now? And when can I see myself being profitable, sustainable, you know, self-supporting, essentially? And so the hardest part for me when I made made the leap, as I call it in, um, in the blog post, is that uh, that to me wasn't really very clear. And so I still actually, I kind of have, I call it entrepreneur purgatory because I have one step or one foot into consulting and basically I'm like the outsourced head of marketing for uh Savvy Cal with uh, Derek Reimer is the founder. It's just us two uh, and a support person. And then 
I have, you know, another foot into swipe files and like my own businesses and like this new kind of software project that I'm working on. And, um, so I did that because at the time it wasn't really clear, like what the revenue trajectory of swipe files was today. I could support myself full-time just on swipe files. And even back then I had sort of like, you know, I had at least, you know, like the emergency fund of like three to six months of, uh, of cash, right. Just in case I need to like went to zero and like, that's the only thing I could survive on. Um, but there was like this big mental switch of, uh, I think definitely like that consistency of a paycheck more to like, okay, like actually I need to create that consistency from my business. It's not just like, you know, it works out, you know, money comes out of thin air, uh, or even like, like you said, especially for a membership site, the revenue is all over the place. Right. So like September, right. When I quit, I had made like 15 grand that month. And then like the next month I made like three and the month after that I made like 12. And so then like, I have to like save and like forecast. And it was just like a bit overwhelming to really understand. Like I have to really plan the, the cash flow. I need to plan what the trajectory looks like so I can be comfortable. I need to plan where the money is coming from this month so that I can pay my bills. And uh, it's not always very straightforward. Yeah, well said. And I think the other way of looking at it too, is um the the one book i recently just read that i think i don't know if you've already read or not profit first have you heard of this yeah mm -hmm. yeah have you great. read it yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say i found that to be extremely helpful just because you know based on the way you're running your business usually profits the last thing it's you know revenue minus expenses equals profit um but a lot of times taking kind of recontrol of your finances uh by Focusing on that profit first, pulling that out of the business, and then letting the rest of the business run actually is one of the easiest ways to kind of like get your financial stuff under control, assuming you have some degree of cash flow. Um, but it's interesting to say like the, the uncertainty and the purgatory is pretty tough, like switching over. I feel like from my standpoint, like when I when I left Privy a couple months back, it really went from the first month, it's like, wow, this backlog of six month stuff that I've like been meaning to do all this time, like I just got done in four weeks. That's fantastic. And then mm -hmm. you, uh, for me personally, I was like, and it sounds like maybe you went through this too. Days like 31 through 60 were like, huh. So like, I just like worked like crazy for four weeks. Cause I like felt like I had something to prove. I left this job. I like did it for a reason. And we had so much like progress, but now I kind of have to like go back to like, okay, that I can just clear out of the backlog. Like, what do I do now? Um, and yeah. I think days 31 yeah. through 60 are a little confusing. Cause you're like, Okay, I got to start setting up procedures. I got to go and start like figuring out like where we're trying to take this business. And for a lot of stuff, like you quickly start to like try to do a bunch of new things. When in reality, like you just kind of have to double down on all the things that are still working. And like it's easy to be in a hundred plus person company or whatever, and they already know it's working. They got that stuff figured out. And it's the reason they have a hundred plus employees. Uh, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times. Um, and so really you're just being assigned to do work. That's kind of why people start to hate it over time uh, as you just do the same stuff over and over and over again. When in reality, just to go and start and run the business, you're doing different things every day, but a lot of the times getting started, it's like, hey, no, I just have to come up with three new blog posts this week. I just have to come up with three new ad creative this week. I just have to come up with three new newsletters this week. And like, it gets repetitive, but like, that's how a business works. It's how, it's how a business yeah. grows. And it takes a little bit to like learn that when you first are getting started. Oh yeah. I and mean, that's entirely my experience. And, um, I think it's pretty jarring at first because, uh, like you said, you, you start to, even if you do start to figure out what works, then you're like, okay, I just need to like keep doing what works over and over and over again, you know? And like, I go out now the the beauty of it is that like your time isn't directly related to, to money. Like you're sort right. of like, you have this compounding effect. Right. And, 
Uh, it's not like you're getting, you're not paying yourself every hour that you work on it. Like the results speak themselves later on. Um, but then you have to really learn to love the process and you have to get into a routine. You have to build the right habits. And, uh, I, it's funny because I had read the practice by Seth Godin back in November, pretty soon after I had, I had left Barometrics and, uh, even that, like, actually I reread it after like a few months later, because I hadn't really stuck to me. Like, that's really what Seth was getting at was like, look, you have to learn to love the practice. You have to be devoted to the practice. You have to learn to see yourself as a craftsperson and not just as, uh, an assembly line person essentially. And, uh, if you just show up every day and, you know, you expect for lightning to strike and for you to feel super inspired to work on something and you're, you just feel like it's, you know, lightning every day. That's just not going to happen. You, it, it's a little bit boring. Like you said, you're work, like you're working on, um, like even for me, I've, I've been in a rut for the last like two months because I felt a little bit burned out, just like death by a thousand cuts, trying to work on all these different things together. And then I was like, okay, I just need to sit down and really focus. I've been really focused on Twitter for the last couple of months. Uh, I've been really thinking about sort of like the vision for I want to take swipe files. And now like I'm blocking off weeks at a time just to work on like one thing I'm working on the tiny marketing ideas newsletter. Then I'm going to work on my own kind of like automated newsletter drip for like a week or two. Then I'm going to work on curating like my swipe file that I'm offering to, to members. Then I'm going to work on a new course and then maybe another new course and then some course updates. And then like, it's going to be the end of the year <laughs> and that's it. And like, it sounds so simple, but that's the practice. That's what you have to devote yourself as a membership site owner slash, you know, creator slash content creator slash business owner. And if, if I could one, say just one thing there too, you you brought up a point that kind of got overshadowed there, which is like, hey, you took a step step back to go and create this vision uh, of what you want Swipe Files to be and what you want your career, your company to be, et cetera. Did you have that prior to those past couple of months? Well, I think that I thought I did or I had pieces of it. Um, but until sort of like the rubber hits the road and you really start making use of what you have, like what this vision is, then it doesn't really matter. Like they're just kind of like these ideas. Right. But then, so I, um, I'm a part of this creator mastermind and, uh, shout out to Jay Akunzo who sort of helped me and us go through this and still very much work in progress, but he kind of helps go through this practice of, uh, why, how, and what. So your why is really like the driving force of like, literally, why are you doing this business? So I think I mentioned in the beginning, but I think I kind of nailed it down to, I really care about helping people get the attention they deserve for their product services and content. Like that's what fires me up. I love helping other entrepreneurs. I love helping marketers be successful in their job for their businesses. Um, but that in and of itself isn't enough. Like, I don't know what to do with that day to day. Whereas then you level it down to the how. Okay, so I love, I want to celebrate teach and teach audience first marketing, auto remix and uh, sample examples and teach other people how to use and remix uh, examples from other industries. Um, I want to market from a place of first principles and frameworks and psychology instead of just like tactics and, uh, and strategies. I want to advocate for minimal viable marketing, like just doing enough that you need. I want to push the bench like, okay, so these are all kind of like these core tenants and pillars. Okay. So I can see like, you know, my curated swipe file kind of filling into that, that second one. Right. I can see like this course filling into like this uh, pillar over here. And then you start to piece together, like what you offer to the how, and then it's the what, right now you actually, you know, uh, iterate and you actually bring the language to it. Okay. This is what it looks like on Twitter. This is what it looks like on the newsletter. This is what it looks like for this course, for that course, for this community, for these things that we do. Um, 
and and how each one plays with each other for the different kind of levels of what you're doing. That's really cool. The and the reason I think first of all I love the framework. I think that's like the best way to go about that. I think everyone should really apply that to their own life. I think the reason I asked the question about the vision and the grand strategy is because when I was working at Privy, um, Dave brought up a really good point during one of the meetings where it's like we we had just finished a big marketing campaign we we're doing. People were just kind of tired and burnt out, whatever. And he brought up a, a quote that I remember now where it's like people burn out because they don't know why they're doing what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think about that a lot, right? People. You yeah. can typically work 80 hours a week and still not get burnt out if you're doing what you love to do all the time. And I'm not saying this is always true. Like you should take care of yourself, focus on yourself first. Absolutely. But I think people will get burnt out after doing things for like 40 hours a week, 20 hours a week solely because they're like, why am I doing this again? Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, do I even like this work? Whereas if you can clearly say to yourself, like, no, like I love helping people succeed whether it's in their projects or business. And I do that best by doing these three things. And that's all I do on a day-to-day basis. Then you're going to be remarkably happy. And it doesn't matter if you spend 20 to 80 hours a week doing it, you're probably not going to go and get burnt out as a result. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because it's true, like across the board for both entrepreneurs and for employees. But I think that if you're an employee and kind of like get away with not thinking about this because it's a job quote unquote and because it's yeah. paying the bills and it's sort of like normal culturally it's like not like your job and like be sort of like uh complacent with how unhappy you are in your job but if you're an entrepreneur and you hate what you're doing like you've massively screwed up and you will not <laughs> you will not you know make it very long especially yeah. as a creator if you're a content creator it takes a lot of mental energy and like emotional energy to put words you know, to type on your computer, it sounds crazy, but like it's, it's a, it's a very like cathartic experience and it takes a lot of emotional energy to, to do that. And if you don't have that energy, you're not going to be able to create and you're going to burn out. And so it's super, super important to really get clear about your why, what you care about, because there really isn't another way to do it. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. I, I didn't ever give content creators the credit until I started doing this podcast, taking Twitter a little bit more seriously and you quickly realize, holy shit, this stuff's actually hard. And while it doesn't seem that hard, right? Like to me in my head, I was always like, oh, people who are creating businesses, like those are the creators, right? Like, like that stuff is hard. Convincing someone to give you dollars is hard. Convincing, you know, people to give you a few likes or whatever like that on Twitter, or listen to your mm-hmm. podcast. That's not that hard. And then you do it and you're like, oh, nobody cared about what I said for the first hundred tweets. Okay. Like yeah. I see the, yeah. the attention is, is infinitely more valuable than the money. Um, and, and that's really what you're trying to fight for as a creator, which is interesting. Um, let's, let's start wrapping things up. I wanted to get more into the podcast stuff, but I, I also think I want to avoid a two hour long podcast. Uh, just, we've just never <laughs> done it before. And so, um, I think the, the solution to that is to probably bring you back on the show at a later point, but, um, three questions I want to wrap up with, and maybe it can be like somewhat of a rapid fire questions. One, do you think that you'll ever have a job again? Uh, aside from consulting stuff, which isn't really a job. Hmm. Uh, maybe, I mean, I could see myself like, if I end up selling a company one day and then like, you know, I want to stick around for a year or two to like either as like part of the contract as in buying the company and or just because I want to like coast for a bit, then like probably. Yeah. Uh, and or like, I don't know, maybe I end up burning out or like the things that I work on don't work out very well. And I do want to just take like a normal job and yeah. I've reached some sort of like financial security. Um, so I think that I could, but it have to be under a very kind of specific set of uh, you know, very specific scenario or set of criteria like those things. Right. On your terms versus on someone else's terms. Yeah. 
Um, second question is who, what, sorry, what are your favorite books to get better at marketing? And what's one book that you've read that's nothing to do with marketing that you just absolutely loved? Mm. Um, favorite books for marketing, uh, anything by Seth Godin and probably like all the things by Seth Godin more from like a philosophical level of like what is marketing and what does it mean to market and kind of just like getting the right mindset for marketing to understand that it's not like the sleazy slimy thing and also like this is how the world works and this is how people work and this is how uh you know behavioral psychology works and stuff like that you know consumer psychology um a little bit more tactical i really really love and I always recommend position or uh, obviously awesome by april dunford all about positioning uh I, it's mainly geared towards like b2b SaaS companies and tech companies but i think it also gets really uh tactical and applicable for e-commerce companies and for services companies and really like really anything it's all about like how do you communicate what you do as something that's valuable and different and worth investing in um and she has like this really step-by-step framework it's a pretty brief book but it's like very very tactical um something not related to marketing uh one of my favorite books in the last year has been um the ruthless elimination of hurry by a pastor named john mark comer and he basically talks about sort of like the hustle and bustle of American culture and just how um, it's not like a very life-giving way of living. And it's okay to like slow down and actually have to like be intentional about slowing down. And that doesn't mean like work less. It doesn't even mean like give up on your dreams or like don't be an entrepreneur or like, you know, give up on all your hobbies. It just means like build in slowness to your life because it's so easy to get sucked up and like, oh, like, the year flew by and like every year you get older, life goes by quicker. And like what happens when you're like, you don't want to be in that state and unhappy for a long time. You have to find fulfillment and purpose and you want to be happy living your life, which tends to be a bit on the slower side that we intend to as a uh, Americans and even probably globally around the country, around the world. Uh, it's probably similar to that. That's cool. I'm definitely going to buy that one because I'm looking at the calendar today and I was like, it's already July 21st. Oh, like I the, know. the classic, classic, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's classic small talk, but like the the summer just goes by so quick. Um, yep. And the, the other thing I was going to say is that the Seth Godin stuff, I agree. All of his books are phenomenal. And he is like the quintessential example of like the jab, jab, right hook where he puts out a mm-hmm. blog post every single day on That's Seth's that blog. And it's it's always good. It's it's just consistently good content. Um, and I don't know where I read this, but he has some quote out there, some, something along the lines of like he'll go on any podcast out there, but you have to have at least a hundred episodes out. I have no, I don't know. If, maybe you posted this or someone posted this. Uh, yeah. But I was like, I was okay. like, okay, this is. You, was it you? Okay, it, it probably was. Then uh, I was like, this is now my goal. I'm, I'm definitely just gonna reach out to him once we hit a hundred episodes because like, why not? <laughs> okay, so here here's the secret is that. Uh, when I first launched everything as marketing, um, I wanted him to be the first episode. And, uh, so basically I told him, I was like, look, I know that you have this rule, but I want to show you that, like, I know you, I've read all of your books. I listened to every podcast interview you've ever done. And I promise that this will be a podcast. Like I I told him, like, here's all the people I'm going to have. Uh, and he said, I'm sorry, but I can't break my rule, but I'll come on after 50 episodes. So I'm actually, I'm, I'm on like episode 44 or something like that now that I've recorded. So pretty soon I'm going to hit him up again and email him and see if I can get him on the podcast. That's awesome. He will be a fantastic guest and I'll definitely listen to that one. Last question I got for you. You recently ran um, a Twitter growth challenge, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a part of it. 
I don't know if I really took it too seriously. I mostly just wanted to meet some interesting people. And for what it's worth, Twitter did grow during the time of being in that challenge. So uh, I think that there's value there. Um, and, and it was cool meeting some people and hearing like how they were going about it. Um, how was that experience for you? And then also really tough question, but who are your favorite five people to follow on Twitter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the, the experience as a whole has been really, uh, really fun and really challenging. I One, I was I was literally looking for like, two to three other people to kind of like join me at just making like a, you know, like a text message group, you know, to a group chat, just to be like, you know, help each other, amplify each other, you know, trade notes, swap notes. But then like so many people were interested, I couldn't really like say no. So I put together all these like Twitter DM groups and then like made it a challenge, made it official, created a doc to like try to help people and then kind of left people on their own. And uh, as expected, like 90, 99, oh, 95% of the people like, dropped off within like the first month i would say and like haven't done very much there have like the other five percent have just been like killing it and have been my, doing a my way group better is still job. like pretty active like like surprisingly Dude, slaying. Yeah. yeah and uh, way better than 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 me and uh, there was even like a month where i sort of like dropped off because i was like in this weird like existential kind of mood for swipe files and just like wasn't motivated i was a little bit burned out on creating content and so uh i definitely haven't met my goals but i think that i've definitely uh, learn the lesson that I needed to, which is I think I really understand how Twitter works now. And I know the formula, you just have to go and do the work. And uh, so, uh, I mean, one of the people, a couple of the people that have really been killing it is uh, Jeremy Moser, uh, Amanda Natividad. Um, I'm going to be blanking on a whole bunch of the other uh, names and people in the challenge, but like you see other people doing a good job and it's the, the process working. And then it just kind of validates that like, okay, this is the playbook and this, this actually does work. Um, and so my goal was to get to 25,000 followers, which was like, you know, intentionally, uh, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Uh, I'm at 11,000 today. I'm hoping to finish at around like 12 or 13,000 and get about halfway there. Started around 8,000, I believe. Um, but it's been really, really fun. And then, so favorite followers, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of David Perel, um, Jack Butcher, uh, Heat and Shaw, um, I'm going to be blanking on a whole bunch of other people that, that are, I find really, really interesting. I, I also, oh, Nick Huber, a sweaty startup. Yep. Um, I try to be kind of diverse. Oh, Nat Eliason for all things like DeFi and crypto. Those are probably my, my just, top five actually. Pretty diverse. I was, I was going to say, I think I just bought his course, um, which is pretty sick. I, I'm pretty sure I'm th we're talking about the same person. I don't really know if I, I just, I found DeFi his. DeFi orientation. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Really good. Really helpful. Dude, if anyone's looking for that's it. That's another red pill, blue pill moment where uh, you don't see the world the same after. I know. Right. Yeah. I was like, I was talking to my buddy. I was like, you mean I can get an $80,000 loan in like six minutes? I was like, how does, that's insane. Um, yeah. But fun fact, I've been funding all of my um, like angel investments and startup equity crowdfunding through this kind of DeFi stuff, basically like loaning to myself. And it's been really, really yeah. interesting. Let's hope that the market doesn't crash because then the loan to value might be scary. But that, that's my well, concern too. Not on the platform I'm using, not on the Alchemix. And uh, I, I'm, I bet that a few others will, will kind of follow their path. But basically there's no, because that's why I didn't do it initially. But um, and this is a whole tangent, but they don't, it's basically a self-repaying loan uh, based on the interest that you earn through Yearn. And so that mm -hmm. way there's no like loan to value, like collateralization level where you might, you know, get collateralized and then you default essentially and you lose it. Uh, right. It basically is just like you can repay it faster or slower, like whatever the interest rate is that you're earning right now. Damn.
That's cool, man. You are you are a wide array of of sources. Every everything <laughs> from everything from paid communities to uh, setting up TV screens, or I guess I guess movie theaters to DeFi. Um, if people want to learn more about you and engage with your content, obviously uh, join Swipe Files from the community membership standpoint. Um, but where where else can they go and find you? Definitely Twitter at Corey Haynes Co. Also, my personal site is CoreyHaynes.co, and I have a list of basically. Uh, all my projects that I'm working on more like just about me. It's a pretty like brief page. It's kind of just like has like everything that I'm interested in and things you want to know about me. Um, Swifehouse.com to join the newsletter, which I'll be like really booting up here pretty soon. And then you can go to slash membership for all things like the actual like products. And that's where the community, the courses, uh, my curated swipe file is. And again, it's a hundred bucks a year. And in fact, for your, for your listeners, they can use the code, the next generation to get half off any one of the memberships. Love it. Make sure you sign up. Uh, and also plug your podcast too, because your pod, like I just, again, started listening to your podcast this week and they're awesome. Like they're actually really, really good. Yeah. If you want to listen to me ramble and give like weekly updates, then uh, defaultalive.fm. And uh, it's based on Paul Graham's, you're either default alive or default dead. Uh, and I co-host it with my friend, Chris Spaggs, who's the founder of JetBoost. Um, and then my other podcast is Everything is Marketing, more of an interview, interview, interview-based show. I've been describing it as the Tim Ferriss show, but for marketing and with much less famous people. So if that interests you, <laughs> then, uh, you can go to everythingismarketing.fm. You've got a, you're great at marketing, but you got to market your own products better because the podcast is way better than how you just, just described it. There, <laughs> either way, yeah. appreciate your time today, Corey. It was awesome chatting with you. Thanks for having me.